When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is the HTML All The Things Podcast. This is a bit of a working title, but the title right now is The Perils of Bad Documentation. This episode, regardless, is going to be about bad documentation because it's a pet peeve of mine. It's a real problem, and I'm going to go through all the problems that it creates and all the good things that good documentation creates. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, share this with your friends, and if you want to learn more about web development, Scrimbo's just a step away, and we do have a... Uh, discount code for you if you go check us out uh, go check out the show description or if you go check out the show notes on htmlallthethings.com go check either of those out there's a link there click that we receive a monetary kickback but it also gets you a discount so it's a win win go check that out if you want to learn more about web development so let's kick things off the perils of bad documentation working title I have a bit of an intro here. So it's a, you know, kind of a, a meme at this point, if you will, that people just don't check or read documentation and that they do absolutely everything to avoid it. And, and there are a lot of us, myself included, that, you know, reach for documentation all the time just to understand topics from the perspective of the source. So, you know, you have this sort of kind of meeting of minds there where some people will absolutely just, you know, stay away stay away from the official documentation as much as they can. They stay on their stack overflows. They stay on, they stay on this and that. But for like for me, I want to understand, you know, if you're making, if you've made a plugin or if you've made a service, I, I kind of want the advice because it's so proprietary right from the source myself. And so you kind of have those meeting of minds. Also, some people will just, you know, prefer to understand exactly what's going on before they go in. And those people would also reach for the documentation. So we've all been, you know, there for, for a, you know, we've all been brand new ourselves to an, an, a new framework or a plugin, never used it before, maybe some sort of service, like we've signed up for an SMTP, you know, premium, premium service of some sort. And it's so, again, so proprietary that it's like, well, I've looked it up on everywhere and maybe ChatGPT or Bing AI has a little bit of information for me, but I need to reach for that documentation. And, you know, it just, it's one of those things where, it's one of those things where, you know, documentation is is a constant in our lives and kind of going for its improvement and kind of cheering for its improvement is, is crucial because even if you are one of those people that try to avoid it, you're going to sometimes have to reach for it. Your Google result is eventually going to land on documentation at some point. And the same thing goes for getting stuck on a problem. You know, if you if you're really, really stuck. And you, you're reading your Stack Overflows. You're trying to avoid the documentation. You're going to ChatGPT, and they don't have the answers. Oftentimes, because the plugin or the service has just recently updated, and that information hasn't kind of filtered into those forums and into different blog posts and those type of things, you'll need to reach for the official documentation. As at that point, it's one of the only, if not the only, source for that information. So, documentation, even though some of us try to avoid it or some of us love it, it's a constant for everybody. And, you know, good documentation realistically should have you in and out as quickly as possible. And 
it's not supposed to be an SEO centric blog post with needless intros and explanations. You know, the type where you look up and you go, Hey, does, you know, does this, did this movie have 10 actors in it? And it's like, this movie, which was designed, which was made in 1997, was by this by this production company, by that thing thing, had a lot of staff in it. That a lot of staff was a lot of team and blah 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 blah. And then four paragraphs down, it's like, yes, it had yes, it had ten people in it. And it's like, well, thanks for being that. So like, that's not what good documentation should be. It's supposed to be a manual, in out, quick as quick as possible. And the reason why a lot of people avoid it, and the reason why that meme probably even exists, is because. Most documentation is not good, not good. And uh, we'll go through what what, make, what makes documentation bad right now. I think, honestly, documentation is a really big topic that web developers or really any developers need to get on board with. Um, having said that, it's going to be getting way better for larger packages and larger libraries and frameworks. Documentation has improved like astronomically in the past three years all coming down to the fact that developer relations engineers have started to work on documentation, more money, like tons and tons more money has been pumped into the developer experience rather than just, hey, here's a package. We want the developers to be able to onboard quickly so that we can get more people using this tool so that those people then recommend the tool and et cetera. And that leads into like a, a, a bigger, uh, just a bigger amount of users to use the tool. And if you're monetizing it in any way, or if you have open source donations or whatever, whatever your goal is with the tool, you want more people to use it. Therefore, making it easier to use is the is the goal here. Like I, the only time I've seen bad documentation lately is on small packages. And we'll talk about what makes bad documentation next. But like, on small packages that barely have any users or are very, very, very niche. Right. A lot of times lately for web developers specifically, it's just like, boom, you're getting this amazing documentation. I agree with Matt on the set on the side, like you don't need to make it this massively SEO blog post or you don't need to on every piece of, you know, part of the API. You don't need to give like a three paragraph explanation on why you decide to implement it in the way that you implemented it. We just need to know how to implement it. If you want to write stuff about like a blog is a good place to put that stuff, you don't need to put that in documentation. So I think there is still room for improvement, but I do want to kind of put that layer on the fact that documentation is improving steadily. And if you're avoiding improving your own documentation, now is the time to kind of really invest into that. The blog is definitely part of your marketing tool, right? Like if you if you designed a plugin, let's say for WordPress, okay, great. You put it on the WordPress store. That's a little bit of marketing. It's also for, also for distributions like thumbs up. Now you have a landing page or a website marketing site. That's for marketing. Obviously, great. That's perfect. And then your documentation comes out. Sure. You can kind of make double your documentation pull double time with a little bit of marketing, but you really, that's not the goal of the documentation. And I feel like a lot of places will kind of do that or they'll maybe make the documentation like just just because they kind of have to and they kind of ignore it and it's bad. It's missing pieces and all that type of thing because they're, they want to go to the blog. And to me, it's sort of like the sites, I mean, the marketing site and the blog, whether they're one in the same, those should be your marketing tools, you know, and then you then, yeah, a little you can get your blog to be 
you can get your, excuse me, your documentation to be a little bit of that because you can have good titles that people are going to type into Google and you can look up the questions. There's good ways to SEO your documentation, but documentation to me is not a blog post and you can reiterate stuff on your blog. Of course, in a different light, you can write all your SEO terms in there and blah, 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 and like kind of fluff it up to try to get the click. And then now you have, you know, potentially a documentation link that's going to show up first page or high up. And then you also have your SEO thing that maybe will be first result. And yeah, like it's two different, but to me, it's two, two separate things. I would say the documentation is more the technical departments thing. Get a technical writer to put that together. And then you have obviously the app itself or the plugin in this case that there's your technical department. And then your site, meaning the marketing site and the blog are the marketing tools. And then maybe there's more, but in general, to me, it's two kind of separate departments, technical and marketing. So what makes documentation bad? I alluded to one of the things already missing content. This is a real pain. Mike, I remember you were working on some blockchain stuff during COVID and you were telling me that there was no one talking about it and the documentation would just, you'd click on it and there'd be like literally the letter I on the page. You'd find the page and just like I, and that'd be it just because somebody had to fill in the page or they could probably couldn't save it. The CMS wouldn't let them save it. It was a mandatory field to have content and documentation. Surprise, surprise. So then. Boom. Now you're now you're just stuck. Like, what do you what do you do? You just. <laughs> yeah. When if, if you were if you were one of those developers that were trying to build on Solana or even Ethereum in the early 2020s. Um, yeah. Good. Good job. <laughs> you, you, you were you were able to decipher essentially a cryptic language because, like Matt said, probably 50 percent of the documentation was blank or missing a lot of what was needed. Good luck getting anything up and running in the development environment. That was I like I just had to really literally go through videos of people doing it and probably piece together five different videos of people setting it up because my my setup was apparently not as generic as I thought it was. Uh, so I had to like figure out the, the how how to do it with this bundler, how to do it with this operating system, et cetera, et cetera. It takes a lot of effort and creativity and like brain teasers to figure stuff out on a new technology without documentation. And it's a great experience if you're trying to level up as a developer, but holy crap, do I not recommend it if it's something that you need to get done quickly. Um, Yeah, missing content is a tough one. (laughs) And what it really realistically does, and we'll talk about this actually in another part of the show, but it actually starts starts kind of breeding this, um, this culture, if you will, of poor implementation of the tech. Because people are just sort of cobbling things together. Mike, you might cobble something together that works and it, you know, using method A. I might cobble something together using method B. And then it becomes, uh, you know, my way is better. No, your way is better. And then that kind of propagates throughout the community. And then obviously the different discords and reddits and people will start talking. And then at the end of the day, it's like, hey, you know, the main the main creator may show up to write the documentation at that point and be like, hey, that's actually the wrong way. What are you guys doing? That's insecure or that's, you know, inefficient. Or you're hitting the API too much or whatever. And it's like, well, maybe you should write your documentation. Um, also, not up to date to the latest product version. This is a major problem that happens all the time. Things will just change and it's just your kind of things are up in the air. I remember using a WordPress plugin. I feel like WordPress plugin is going to come up a lot today. But I had a WordPress plugin one time where it just made the site loop. It just kept trying to load the homepage and just would keep doing it. And then eventually the, 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 uh, the server would error you out, right? Too many redirects and it would throw different errors all the time. And we looked it up and couldn't figure out what was going on. We checked their documentation, couldn't figure out what was going on. And, and so I reached out to their support and their support got back to me pretty quick to their credit. And they said, ah, we haven't had anyone report this. 
So I kept Googling it over the next couple of days because we were just holding off and doing the update in production. And I found someone else with a not the exact same issue, but the same issue on the homepage or the homepage was acting up. And so I was like, I'm just going to go into the patch notes and see what they changed and see if there's like, you know, something stupid, like a configuration I can just set because maybe it's something where like a, some servers don't like it. Um, Their patch notes literally said that they completely rewrote their code. And it's like, hmm, like I understand that maybe your documentation didn't need to change, but there probably should have been a note on the latest version's press release further than just in the 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 plugin store saying you rewrote all your code that the entire code base has changed and that's there should be some unexpected behavior. Yeah, I understand you've tested it, but um, you rewrote everything and you've been in business for years. Do you really think that there's not going to be edge cases of which this person that I was looking at in the forum on the forum and then my case as well, we were edge cases and you just waited for an update and the problem went away. So it's like that, you know, maybe is less a documentation problem, but it needs to be documented <laughs> that that was a major change. It this this becomes even more problematic when the documentation has step by step guides. And then they haven't updated the screenshots. So they'll be like, oh, press the publish button in the top right page. Well, sometimes it's just as easy as finding the publish button in the bottom right now. Not a big deal. But what happens if it's not called that anymore? What if it's called save now? And what if save was something before? Now it's like, well, do I, huh? Like, what do I do? And it's like, oh, you got to wait for the new version of the documentation. It's like, well, maybe you should have waited to release a new version of the app before you friggin' like, what's going on? disaster like nothing makes me go and like chug a coffee and go get another one which makes the problem worse but that's me then being like whoop and then just taking off off the desk get another cup of coffee and then i'm on cup like cup 12 anyway incorrect instructions um just i mean just the way it is just the just exactly the way it sounds when it says something like hit hit publish or edit the 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 field and you click on it and it's like this field can't be edited okay I guess uh, I guess we've reached an impasse here. This is especially bad when it's kind of misleading. So when it's kind of takes you down like a like six steps of a 12 step process and then all of a sudden you hit, you know, step seven and you've hit a wall or it just doesn't save because there's an error and there's no like, hey, if you hit an error here, click here to like read about the error or something. And then you go to look up the error manually if that isn't if that little link isn't there and you find out that. There's no documentation of the error. So just incorrect instructions is clearly like a big problem and it makes documentation horrible. Unclear instructions, same vein, unclear instructions where quite literally it'll just say something like, like I said, oh, hit hit the save button, but it's actually a publish button. And it's like, what is going on here? So when it's when it's unclear, not good. Or the classic is I've seen a documentation come running in. So instead of it being sort of fluffed up like a blog post, it comes in and it's actually too brief and I don't know what I'm doing. And it assumes you have context and it'll just be like, in order to erase the database, and it's like, hang on, what am I doing? And it's like, in order to erase the database, you do this. But then you find out it's not erase the database, it's erase like the caches database or it's to clean the database and that the program will automatically sort of go through and quote unquote erase it, but then we'll clean it up and sort of like rebuild it for the new version or something. And it just... The documentation just came in almost like it came in way too hot, came in running, and it's like, I don't know what this is going to do, and now I'm kind of scared to do this process. Not good. Inconsistent language. This is a big one for me, actually, and I, I, 
I'm not amazing at this. Even in my own guides, it is hard to do. So what do I mean by that? Uh, what I mean to say, for example, you say you, um, you know, you always say throughout the guide, press the publish button. But then later on in the article, if it's like you know, getting to be a long guide, you say, oh, just save the article. You write that later on in the instructions. It's a question in the user's mind of, is that a different action? Is save and publish different? And I think it comes from the, the fact that, you know, when you're writing in English, uh, at least for me, you try to kind of use different words. You almost like you get your thesaurus out because you kind of want to spice up the article a bit. And maybe that works in some blog posts, but when you're in instructional content, especially when you're in the actual documentation itself, it can get a little bit messy. So sometimes I'll write, if I want to, if I'm going to write the word publish like way too much for some reason, I'll write publish slash save once or twice, and then I'll, then I'll inter intertwine them to make it sound okay. Even that's kind of iffy. And so most of the time I'll try to just stick to publish, even though it's boring, like just, just publish or just save. It's, it's a documentation. It should be somewhat boring, in my opinion. As yeah. The more boring and clear, the better. Like if you add spiced, spiced up language, that will only confuse people. That like people aren't reading documentation just for fun. They're there for a specific reason to figure out a specific problem. And and that that's kind of the why that meme exists, right? It's because it's boring, so no one wants to be there. But I mean, and then in turn, if it was good documentation, you'd be in and out quick, and the problem would be solved. Um, Another inconsistent language piece is saying terms. So even if you said it consistently, if you consistently said publish throughout your whole step-by-step -step guide, say, say publish throughout the whole thing, but then all of a sudden the person looks at their, at their thing because they want to follow along and they only have like save. And it's like, uh, is publish save? So saying terms that are similar to what's on the product UI, but are not exactly the same is not good either. So, you know, you kind of have to sacrifice the sort of smooth reading experience a little bit to try to really nail this home. And again, I don't do this perfectly either. I've definitely said like, oh, it's published your article. Well, I'll just save it now. And I've definitely read other guides that do the same thing because it's it feels weird to write the same word over and over and over again. And it kind of is bad. But when you're when you're doing documentation, it's probably the best way forward. Also, another one here, talking as if the user has no context or excuse me has all the context and has all the previous knowledge of all the other bits of documentation or you assume that they know what they're that they're doing that they've been using you know react or whatever it is forever and it's sort of like um okay because i've been i've read documentation where i quite literally even marketing pages where you read the documentation or you read the marketing page and it's like this is for the app bloop, 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 bloop. Class A database. And it's like, um, well, what is it? And then you talk to somebody and it's like, oh, it stores user data. <laughs> it's like, where's, where was that in the docs? Where was that on the marketing page? So people like assume you have all this context and all this previous knowledge. And this is even true in the, you know, my first app is a common thing in documentation to get people kind of warmed up to the app. And it's like, Hey, let's make hello world show up on the page. Right. That, that type of thing. And they'll use that sort of language where they assume they have a whole bunch of context and they'll just start talking about class A. Like Mike and I know how to build computers. Like you don't see us talking about the gigahertz. Like be like, ah, I just, you know, I need the gigahertz up. Like how many of you guys, you know, how many developers even know what that means? <laughs> like, I mean, probably a decent amount, but a bunch don't too. And so it's, you know, it's, it's unclear and you're assuming too much context. You're assuming that they know too much. I think. With this one, the best example that I have is whenever I tell a friend to learn coding, 
and I send them a, a guide or a tutorial or documentation, their first thing is like, I don't know how to do the first step, which is usually, let's say I want someone needs to learn Svelte or React. If you go to Svelte or React, their, their first step is npm install Svelte, right? Well, for A, what's npm? B, where do you enter this command, <laughs> right? What operating system are you using, uh, et cetera? Like the, maybe those are the big three for this situation, right? But that that those are questions that I immediately get from any guide that I send. So if you're a documentation writer, okay, like if you're writing a complex package for a specific ecosystem, maybe you can assume that they've installed the ecosystem. Right. Like maybe you can assume if you're writing a package for React, React probably has already been installed. You can safely go away from teaching them how to install React and teaching them how to install NPM. But if you're doing a, ba- a web framework that is usually that is very typically something that people start with learning, not that we recommend to start with, but a lot of people do start with learning a framework before they jump into everything else. My recommendation is always to put some guide on how to get Node up and running on your machine, what Node is and what NPM is. You don't have to write this. And Matt even has this in the show notes, like just link to it. Mm-hmm. Link to a guide that being like, hey, if you don't know, if you don't have NPM installed and you don't know what it is, boom, link to that. Yep. Done. That solves it for, you know, the handful of people that are coming to your page that don't know what that is. And it's the same thing with videos, like video tutorials, not to get on a tangent, but like, when you're doing a like a full stack uh, tutorial for something like SvelteKit again, to bring it back, a lot of times people will start out with just running, and I do the same thing, running npm install Svelte or, or the npm create SvelteKit, whatever, right? And again, that alienates a significant chunk of the audience where you could just be like, hey, I'm going to link how to set up the environment to get started in a video below. Now well, let's get started. It was literally like two seconds of your time. I need to take this on my own advice here. I didn't. I don't do this, and I should. But it's something that I have noticed more and more. As again, people have reached out to me, being like, "How do I learn this?" And I've sent them stuff, and I've they've come back to me, literally being like, "I don't know what the first step of this is." So this is a problem across the board, and does need to be addressed by everyone. It, it's difficult too because we're writing a lot of guides for HTMLthings.com right now. And sometimes I feel like my guides are a bit too detailed. So I'll cut out steps. And those are the steps that usually get cut out because I'm thinking, well, a web developer looked this up and a web developer, like even myself, if I'm like, how do I do this? I know what NPM is. I don't want to read the first two, three steps of like, go to NPM, you know, go to this website, download this, make sure it's installed. Use, win- I'm using Windows here. I don't want to read those. And so when I go through my editing or I'm trying to slim things down, a lot of the time those steps get cut. And, I, and it's a big struggle for me because I always feel like I'm being too specific when I'm writing my guides, but I haven't heard any complaints, but it's like also like, am I being, it's the line, right? Of like, you want to be just specific enough. And then I go reading other guides and, but I'm, but I'm reading it with context. I'm like, if, especially if it's a CSS guide or something like that, or WordPress or whatever, I'm reading it with context. I'm reading it with a bunch of knowledge. And so I think, okay, I'll write my guide in like this, like in this sort of format with this sort of, you know, brevity. But then sometimes it's like, man, like maybe I shouldn't be doing that because what if this is this person's, you know, 10th or less Google of this, of like a WordPress problem. And I've just been like, ah, you know, install the plugin. It's like, well, where, huh? It's like, oh, you know, slash WordPress admin. It's like, what do you talk about? Like, what do you, what do you mean? 
And then, and then it comes down to the point of like, okay, hang on. This isn't a guide on how to log into WordPress. Like where does, where's this line? It's a mess. So it is like a problem that, you know, can be solved by just sharing a link. Um, but it is, it is still a struggle. It's a struggle to know how brief your guide should be. So I do have another section here called the price of bad documentation. So we'll go through that now. Uh, and the big one, obviously wasted time. You're sitting there reading stuff. It doesn't make any sense. It's wrong. And you're just like, well, there goes that, you know, you, you try it out. You try the step-by-step, it errors out. Nothing happens. Great. You know, this is the one that the next one here though, is what Mike and I were talking about before is poor implementation of tech. So when the actual documentation is is bad and unclear or just, you know, says draft or something, devs are forced to cobble together something, just some sort of solution. And what ends up happening is you start generating varying opinions in the community. And sometimes it's on something that should be concrete. So if you say made a, an email plugin for WordPress, there might be an objectively best way or quote unquote, an, an intended way for your users to set up SMTP. That might be just a, a specific way to do it that you designed, but you have no documentation on that. So everyone just does their own thing. They start setting up random things and they have random addresses and send them no replies and they're signing up for SMTP services and everything else. And so everyone's cobbling things together. And then this may result in arguments in the community like, oh, this is the way to do it. No, this is the way to do it. Well, I've had better, better luck doing it this way. No, this and that and this and that. Maybe even something more serious like security issues due to poor implementation might crop up. And then it's like, oh my God, like, come on guys. But you really should have the, the proper documentation because there's always going to be people that just cobble things together because they don't want to read the documentation. But if you have the documentation and people get stuck, you're able to give them, give them that. And that's a consistent piece of advice. This is how this is intended to work. This is how it's intended to be set up. And if you want to, you know, mess around with it and break it, especially if it's open source, you want to play with it. I mean, I guess you can go for it, but this is how it's designed. This is what, what's going on. And that's it. And so you're trying to avoid those, like those situations in which people got to cobble things together because it's just another headache for everybody. Also, the product creator may have issue updating or upgrading the software as people may be misusing it. So this is a kind of a weird thing. But if your documentation is really horrible and everyone decides to, you know, cobble together solutions and then two sort of emerging camps come out where, you know, this one big website that writes guides says, this is how you set up your SMTP. And this other big website says, this is how you set up your SMTP. So you have method A and method B. Maybe method A and method B are wrong, but now a bunch of people have that going. They have that set up. And so it's like, well, I'm the creator. I'd like to update or upgrade my software now, but I'm upgrading it or updating it with the with the um, thought that, you know, this is, this is how people have it working and it isn't. And those future updates may break people's implementations unexpectedly. People might not know what the heck is going on because they didn't set it up quote unquote properly in the first place. Also lost, um, maybe you lost, maybe you will lose, excuse me, some customers to competitors that were easier to set up. I've absolutely gone in, needed a tool real quick, just something real simple. Like I need a redirect app real quick. Just there's something broken on a page. I just need to redirect them some, you know, on WordPress, you know, really quick, just a 302 temporary. And you go in there and the the documentation or the UI or whatever of that WordPress plugin is horrible. Delete, 
Go to the next one. Is this one easy? Yep. Done. So bad documentation and this, and in this particular case, bad UI and UX kind of come, you know, hand in hand. If it's hard for me to set up, like it's just a pain. Also, if you come, if you come across kind of in your documentation as being kind of, uh, arrogant, I've definitely used a couple email apps where people are like, like quite literally in the documentation, they'll be like, Oh, like if, if you need, uh, if you need to store entries, like if you need to store entries, like make sure it's set up correctly and stuff like that. And it's sort of like, okay, well, Jesus, like show me how to do it. This is your app. And they just come across over the text as being sort of like, well, if you don't know how to set it up, you're just an idiot. Then it's kind of the way I, I take in. It's like, I didn't really want to be insulted by a manual, but okay. <laughs> also, distrust among community members. So people may make, you know, their own set of guides on the running joke that your documentation is horrible. And that's not really a piece of, a piece of uh, reputation that you want. So you might not lose any customers to competitor because you might be pioneering some sort of niche need in the web development community. But then, you know, if you're built upon this empire of like, I have bad documentation. I mean, that's an opening for a competitor to come in, make their own app, make their own documentation and steal them away. You don't want to be that running joke and you don't want to leave that opening for your competitors. So what, you know, we've been in the, the negative space for a while. So what does, what makes documentation good? First thing here is easy searchability. You know, I should be able to navigate around your site without Googling every topic. I should be able to easily find things. I'd prefer to stay just in your documentation, do a quick little search. Oh, you know, you're talking about variables. Well, what's a variable? Okay. Let me look at that. Or like, like the NPM thing, like what's an NPM and whether I click on a link to go to an external site or whether I, you know, quickly Google or quickly look it up in your search bar and NPM shows up or something like that. I should be able to search around and navigate around inside of your documentation without that need to Google every single time. Also, and this is a controversial one. So, you know, I'm kind of open to debate on this is easy language. So use language in a way that someone who is brand new would understand what you're saying. And the reason why this is controversial, but it is my preference to use this easy language is because some topics are advanced and might suffer from, and might suffer from using beginner language. Maybe the document will need to be too long because they need, they're kind of explaining too many things, right? And so this is where I prefer the easy language, but the jury's still out even for me because some of those advanced things are just, are just going to be kind of hard to, you know, make it beginner level, but I will say that, especially on beginner topics, explain things in a way that makes sense. Don't just assume they know what's going on. I know personally in the Svelte documentation, when people kept saying like, oh, this is, you, you mount this, you export this, you this, you that. And I was trying to figure out like what the heck was going on. And it, it's very, un, it was very unclear to me because when you say export, I'm like, oh, am I exporting this? Like, is this no longer here? Like, am I exporting a PDF? Like I've exported it from a word. It's like, oh no, that like, that's not used like that here. It's like, well, why isn't that written down somewhere that that was, that's not used somewhere. Like, yes, I know that's the syntax and the syntax is not going to be one-to-one, you know, fine English writing or something, but can we at least in the documentation, write down what is going on or like, oh, import mount. And it's like, what am I mounting? Like, am I mounting a hard drive? Because it technically is written down somewhere in the documentation, but it's not written down everywhere in the documentation. Um, but it's tough, like, because you're, you assume export means something. So that's not, it's another thing with documentation or technology in general, reusing terminology for your, for your library or your framework that is already an established 
system in a different way in the same ecosystem. So like Matt mentioned export for Svelte, very good point. A lot of people have brought up that that can confuse people. And it has, Matt just pointed out, because although they do mention what it is and why it is somewhere in the documentation, 99% of the time when you go to documentation, you're not starting from the beginning. You're going to the place where you need to go and you're continuing from that place. You just take that chunk of code or take that API that you're looking for and you use it. So if the export's not explained in the API that you're looking for and it's just used, then you're kind of screwed. You don't have the context. And so I don't know. I, I don't have a solution for this. I'm not saying that this is something that um, we can solve on a podcast episode, but it is a problem with documentation. One potential thing is like maybe with certain um, uh, uh, keywords like that, export being one of them, right? Maybe you have a situation where people can hover over those or you you somehow like stress that these are different maybe bold them, something something in the documentation where someone can hover over and have a, some context about what that means. Because again, exp- the export example in Svelte is a very common one. Matt, you're not the only one that's kind of had that hiccup. I had that hiccup when I was starting out. Most people that start with Svelte are like, this is weird. Once you learn what it is, it's fine. Okay, like it's, I get it. But again, it's that learning what it is part that is the problem. So making that part better is key to making better documentation. It also kind of like stems from the fact that like if you're Googling something, so that's what that's what was happening is I was trying to like move some data from one, I think it was like one module or whatever, one component to another component. I was trying to move it over and it's like, how do I do this? So I Google that, it leads me to that piece of documentation. Then you were saying, you know, like, hey, like the export explanation is in another piece of documentation. But how many people went through the same path as me where I literally was like, I hit a problem in my app. I try to look up how to do it. I land on this page. Now it's like, well, you know, whatever. I don't know that export is explained somewhere else. And this is where Google led me. And so it's like one of these things where like, it's almost like the documentation writer has to monitor the SEO and monitor the Googling pathways of people and then be like, hey, we need to actually clarify this here because this is messed up. Whether it's just like you said, a hover thing or linking to the place where it is explained or what, I don't know, but it does come, you know, it it does become a problem. And you have to watch the linking out as well because I've been down that pathway too where people will say, hey, you know, this is where this is explained. Click here to read this article. You you click it and it leads to another article that says, oh, if you want to learn more, click here. You click here again. Oh, you want to learn more? Click here. And I'm like, man, I'm about 15 articles deep now and I'm still learning what the word let is here. Like what what is going on here? Like let in vanilla JavaScript is easy. What am I doing here now? You know, and it, and it just gets to the point where it's just like, OK, getting a little silly now. I'm running around in circles. I'm just going to look up a third-party guide. And whether they've implemented it correctly or not is a complete question mark. So another thing that makes a documentation very good is clear explanations, obviously, but with examples. So myself, I will read theory, you know, till the cows come home. That's an old phrase, but (laughs) till the cows come home. But I will quite literally not understand about 90% of it unless I have an example. I need to read the theory. Go through the example and then pick pick apart the theory points, kind of break it up into into bullet points if it isn't already, and apply like, oh, this is what they mean by save this. Oh, this is what they mean by export this. This is what they mean by so with ex- with examples to me at least um, expands the you know theoretical learning to people that are a bit more hands on. Like I am, I just learn better with examples for sure. 
Code Playgrounds are great. I really like them. It's one of the reasons why I actually like W3 schools. I know people don't like W3 schools, but for me, it's just a quick little place where I can show up and be like, what is this? I forget what this CSS property does. Go quickly check it. Okay. What if I try to break it? Oh yeah, I can't do that. Okay. Boom. Code Playground right on the web page. Done. No big deal. Proper article breaks. So don't cram everything into one guide and don't put too little in there. So it's a weird little line that you're going to have to kind of kind of toe that go between that line and add things, remove things, update your documentation here and there as you see people get stuck or whatever. Basically, you want to write enough to solve a problem or concept and then divide up those concepts into individual guides so that they can be searched up more easily on Google and internal searches. What do I mean by that? So some people will say this is the this is the ultimate guide to to variables. So they got this big old thing and they got, you know, this is how you declare with let, var, blah, 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 blah. That's great. And that's more of like a pillar article in the world of SEO. It's a pillar article that in the future, when you start talking about declaring things with let specifically, a separate guide, you then link to the pillar article. Kind of a similar thing can be done on documentation. You don't necessarily need the pillar article for the SEO of it and the, all the interlinking. But if someone is looking specifically for VAR and VAR is literally printed 15 pages down, yeah, you can control F to find it and whatever. But at that point, it sort of starts becoming like, okay, maybe we shouldn't have so much on this page. Maybe we should have a separate page for VAR so that someone's able to open up a tab and just quickly refer to VAR. They're able to quickly refer to the SMTP settings. They're able to quickly refer to whatever. You don't want to have, like, think about it. You don't want to have one, literally one massive one sheet for your whole documentation for your plugin. You want to know when to break it up. And it is a line of, you know, little too much, little, little, little bit, little bit too much, not enough, et cetera, et cetera. So you kind of go back and forth. And so what I'm saying is, is like really kind of look up those Google searches and see what people are searching. And so if, if you're, if you're writing about, let's just say var, you're writing about var. Okay, great. That's how you declare variables. That's the old way of declaring variables on, on, on JavaScript that still works. Okay, fantastic. Now, you look up the Google searches and people are literally typing in, what are the different ways to, to declare a variable? Well, let's just say, uh, let and var, just for the sake of example, let and var are the only ones that are, that are, that are, that exist. Okay. Well, what we can do in our documentation is we can have a var, we can have a let, so two separate articles. And then in our blog, in that marketing blog, we can have, these are the ways and you're, you're, going into that question. These are the ways to declare because your problem is when people look up that question, they might, they might land on your VAR page and then think that that's the only way. So what you really need to do is kind of have your article breaks, interlink them, make it obvious they're interlinked. Maybe you do need a pillar article that says, you know, the three ways to do it is, you know, let, or the two ways in this particular case is let and VAR have, have a brief description and say, if you want to learn more about let click here, leads you right to that guide. You want to learn more about VAR, Go click here and, that, and that's that just to sort of kind of break it up and sort of complement the Googling experience. Also clear versioning. So you're update, you're like, you're updating your plugin all the time and, you know, frameworks are updating all the time, whatever. When I'm looking something up and I'm new or even when I'm not new, I need to know what, what version of the plugin or the framework or whatever your advice is talking about. Because especially if I'm doing something advanced that requires a few hours of work to set up only to find out that that's a deprecated way to do it. And it quote unquote will run right now, but that isn't the right way to do it. It's like, Oh, great. So should I really be putting this into production? Clear versioning in your documentation is key. Also up to date info and screenshots, right? But 
I have another piece of that is to stick to default themes and layouts for screenshots wherever possible. If your app or whatever it is allows you to customize the UI, in my opinion, when you're doing the quote unquote filming and the screenshotting for your documentation as you write it, you really should be using the default themes and layouts. This allows somebody who has customized the UI to simply click back to default and then be able to see exactly what you're seeing and follow along. Also, tell me where to put the changes. This is a personal one. Mike also mentioned it. This drives me nuts. People will say, well, you just got to write this this quick filter. And it's like, where do I put that filter in WordPress? Like it, it is it is such a it is such a pain. Now I know where to put it now or like, oh, you know, just make a component. Where do I make components? Like, where do I put? And it's like, well, just, you know, put this in your component. and It'll be all right. Where where's the components at? Do I make them? And so this is where kind of Bing AI has come come to save me because I get so annoyed and I don't know where to put things. And then I I'll, sometimes I'll put it someplace. It'll work. And it's the wrong place to put it. And it's like, <laughs> like, where am I supposed to put this? And so I'll ask Bing AI. I'll be like, I need to put this in a component. It's like, OK, like, well, you know, where is where do I put that? And it's like, oh, they're usually located here. I don't see them in my folder, in my, in my starter project. Do I make them question mark or do I like download them? You make them. Am I able to just make my own file? Yes. Cool. And then I know, you know, with relative certainty that that's what I'm supposed to do, but it would be great if that was in the documentation, having a code snippets amazing, but like not knowing where to put it. Like what if someone just put JavaScript without script tags in the middle of your HTML? I, I guarantee that's happened. And it's probably happening today because people are like, Oh, this will make my, uh, my slider turn. And you click it and they just like throw it in the page. It's like, why the heck is there all this code just showing up as text on my webpage? Like, what's going on? Does not described. You, you need the description of the context, please. And final thing here, tackle community problems. This goes, this goes hand in hand with the SEO sort of reading, you know, the, what people are Googling. If there are a lot of support forum posts showing confusion on setting something up, for example, you make a contact form plugin for WordPress and people are confused about the SMTP settings. Okay. Make a good piece of documentation covering it. Okay. And, and maybe even consider a feature refresh in the next version if people are getting stuck on it. And by having that documentation, share it out. Make sure you go on those forum posts, share that out. And now everyone's getting consistent advice. And the greatest part is, is so let's just say 100 people have that problem. You share that article to 100 people in the next version. You change how the SMT feature works. You don't need to go on all those forums and tell everybody in that one piece of documentation that you shared out consistently. You put a link saying this has changed in version two. Click here to see how it's changed. All those people just got all the up to date information and that's it. So if you keep things consistent, keep things kind of simple, direct. That's, that's good documentation. And if it isn't, you know that I'm drinking too much coffee while reading your documentation, which just makes the problem worse. But that's, that's the Matt Lawrence experience. Drive one. Anyway, um, that concludes my rant and my episode on documentation, unless you have anything else to add, Mike. No, I think that's it. I think again, documentation is super important, whether it be for a plugin, whether it be for an entire framework. It's something you need to think about on a daily basis. And Matt has, Matt and I have mentioned it many times before that it's one of the first things that you need to check as well. So when you're learning something, it's not only about how good the documentation is, uh, in terms of the creator of the package. You need to learn how to read documentation. You need to go through and make sure that you are able to take 
the the information and implement it into your code in, a, in an efficient way, right? So that's another thing you can practice. That's another thing that bad documentation makes harder, but something you might have to adapt to anyway in your day-to-day life. That's, like, that's exactly it. And uh, I mean, we write guides on a lot of things on HTMLOthings.com. So if you want to check that out, uh, I'm hopefully getting better. I'm sure I've, you know, done some of the things that I've said are bad. I'm, I'm hopefully doing a bunch of the things that I said are good as well. We're not official documentation, but we are guide writing a bunch of guides and that type of thing. So hopefully they're helpful. If you have any feedback on that, please let us know. And, uh, that concludes this episode. If you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon. Uh, and many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com, Tim from the Web Hacker on the webhacker.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com, Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca, Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se, Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale, Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com, Gunner Brunette via gunnerbrunette.com, Watoto Coding via watotocoding.com, Garrett's Gull, and Level Up Financial Planning via www.levelupfinancialplanning.com. Also, remember, we do have that Scrimba discount link if you want to learn more about web development with an interactive video editor, code editor, uh, media tool. Please go check that out. It will be in the show description if your podcast app supports links. If it does not, go to htmlallthings.com and under the podcast show notes, it will also be in there. And we're going to sign off. That's it, Mike. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.